Hello dear listener, hope you're an Android developer. Welcome back to the context number 17. And today's topic is kind of interesting. Uh, recently I've decided that Android is basically too boring for today's world. Everybody, everyone already gone on mobile and everyone uses iPhone anyway, so I decided to switch to .NET and today's with me is Dmitry Savchenko. Uh, he is a .NET developer. Say hello. Hi guys. Uh, and today we're gonna talk about Microsoft, C-sharp and all things in between. And we'll start with the language itself. And let's talk about C-sharp. Uh, C-sharp is the main language for .NET platform, am I right? Yeah, sure. Uh, and the hot topic, uh, and the hot question already. Uh, are C-sharp and Pascal languages actually have some relationship or not? Uh, well, they kind of have a relationship. Uh, uh, as probably a lot of people know, uh, C-Sharp, uh, the designer of the C-Sharp language, uh, Andreas Helsberg, uh, was uh, a designer of Object Pascal and Delphi before. So it's quite obvious that uh, he chose to to transfer uh, some ideas from the uh, Pascal into the C-Sharp and such things uh, the, th the things that come to mind uh, first uh, are properties. I don't really remember if any other language uh, besides Delphi had a uh, concept of properties at the time when C-sharp started. Uh, after that, we can think of events as well. Uh, Object Pascal uh, had uh, some notion of events, though uh, they were more about I would say function pointers, but anyway, they were heavily used uh, as uh, really as events. Uh, so this uh, is probably the reason why C# -sharp and Pascal are uh, related, mostly because of the uh, their designer. And what about the syntax itself? I guess that it's like a weird camel case or something. Uh, well, the syntax is obviously not very common between these two languages uh, as C-sharp is uh, a C language family so it's well, more yeah, like, uh, like uh, I basically mean like function names and class names like in Java it's basically like all methods uh, start with a lowercase and in C-sharp I guess everything starts with a higher case well I think C-sharp language conventions are uh, were uh, created mostly to follow Microsoft C++ convention as well. So oh, that's uh, interesting. So yeah, a camel case is only for uh, local variables, fields, parameters, and everything, and everything else is Pascal case. Uh, but I don't think that this has something to do with Pascal itself. It's I believe that's just a Microsoft thing. Yeah, I totally forgot about Win API and all these things. Yeah, they're pretty much familiar, although uh, Windows API, uh, they tend to use all caps for uh, for some types even and for uh, constants, uh, which is not yep. the case for C-sharp. Yep, I totally forgot about that, thank you. And what about C-sharp versions? How many versions are there? Java already has 10 as for today, I guess, uh, well, and Kotlin has only the first version, but many minor versions. Does C-sharp actually have minor versions? At all? Uh, yeah, it kind of has. Uh, 
uh, as far as I remember, the most recent version of the C Sharp is uh, 7.0, or probably 7.1. I don't really remember this. Uh, but I think uh, the C Sharp designers mostly tend to introduce major versions all the time uh, because literally every uh, C Sharp version introduces some language features. Uh, I think that there's just no much sense to introduce minor versions. But there has been some of them. I don't really remember which of them were, however. Uh, so there are like seven major versions of the C-sharp language. Uh, the, the language itself is developed quite frequently. New versions emerge, I would say, once a year for sure. Uh, and they are adopted, well, quite frequently as well. Uh, I'm not sure that they are adopted that frequent as they might be in enterprise uh, projects, but in some other kinds of projects, that's that's better. And how many how much time actually passes from like the release of the version and its adoption, like in just your experience? I believe that very much depends on the project because there's no there's really no trouble to adopt a new version. Probably the next day it's released, everything is ready. Usually for these, for instance, all the JetBrains uh, tools. Sharper and JetBrains Rider, uh, they have uh, new version support. Well, they even have uh, pre-release version support in their pre-release projects. So, yeah, uh, there's no problem to adopt as soon as possible. Uh, I'm asking this because uh, from what I heard from fellow Java developers, some of them actually struggle with that because the clients have like ancient JVM versions that support only like a sixth version or a seventh version and basically if we have today Java 10 they have some issues with clients that don't want to support them or don't want to adopt them because everything is stable and don't touch that but I guess it just may be some enterprise shit uh, I'm not sure well uh, at the same time C Sharp does not depend that much on a runtime version though it does depend in general so probably that is the case that the newer language versions can be adopted sooner. Uh, and the other case is that probably it's much more easier to uh, deploy a newer .NET version to clients simply because every Windows edition has a more or less recent version of the, of the runtime. So this is another reason why uh, C-Sharp and .NET newer Newer versions of C Sharp and .NET can be adopted sooner than probably Java and JVM. Okay, uh, and I know you know a bit of Java and Kotlin as well. Not so much as from well, part. I kind of used them as a hobby and when I was a student, so not that much knowledge as I might want to, but kind of a bit of it, yeah. And what is your personal opinion on these languages, like in comparison, maybe some benefits or downsides? What, what have you been wanted to change in your language, maybe to bring something from Java or in reverse? Well, that's quite, that's quite, that's quite a compl complex task to compare these languages, uh, yeah, it's, provided it's, that at least I have much better knowledge of only one of them. But uh, anyway, uh, Java is the older, uh, the oldest of them uh, and 
Java language is quite conservative uh, and it has some cleats probably due to due to the fact that it is older uh, so such things as checked expressions uh, for instance uh, uh, speaking about things that I would first like to change well I would, I would start with Java for this probably uh, so yeah checked exceptions is something that didn't prove right uh, and this is what we know now but obviously the designers of language didn't know that so C-sharp C -sharp doesn't have checked expressions at all? I think no language except Java has it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah C-sharp doesn't and I think yeah the language the designers of C-sharp learned from Java and decided that there is no much sense in checked uh, exceptions uh, the other thing that is a bit odd in Java from the .NET developer uh, point of view is that uh, Java has like normal objects and primitive objects and there is uh, a distinction basically well yeah there is a distinction but the, my point is that these primitive uh, types uh, are just a system just system types there is a limited amount of them and they are kind of they can be seen as an exception probably to the language and the runtime itself what we have in .NET and in C Sharp is just is like two types of of types. They can be either reference or reference types or uh, value types. Well, reference types is what what a normal object is in Java, and uh, value types is something similar to uh, primitive objects in Java. Uh, but the difference is that uh, a language user can define its own uh, types that are um, are value types, types, and in this way, it doesn't look like an exception. It's just two kinds of types in the language. So probably this, well, yeah, this uh, looks odd from the .NET developer point of view in Java. Are you talking about structs? Yeah, that, that's uh, that's it. The uh, well, when you define a type in uh, C sharp, there are two keywords. Class keyword uh, defines a reference type and struct keywords defines uh, a value type but this doesn't have really much similarities with uh, with C++ I think the designers just just chose the more or less well-known keywords to the developers well Kotlin has something like data classes but it's kind of a trick actually it's just a class with some sugary on top yeah I think Kotlin data classes are a bit are a different thing. Uh, the reasoning behind them is quite obvious. Well, they can be used to just to hold data. Uh, they are still normal reference types in GBM. Yep. Uh, structs in .NET are a bit different. Uh, one of the well, one of the main differences of uh, structs in C sharp from uh, classes is that structs can be null uh, well like a normal primitive type in uh, Java for instance uh, and uh, they have some a bit different semantics in terms of comparing and and creating as well uh, and are structs better for memory or something like in C++ I guess 
Well, that's... I can't or... say that something is better for memory and something else is not. <laughs> uh, it's just they have different semantics. Value types, they are values and they can be stored uh, on stack, while reference types are always references and they are passed by reference always. So that's the difference, really. Uh, there are use cases when structs are better, there are use cases when classes are better, so... It just depends. Yeah. And you, you've touched an interesting point about nullability. What about C-sharp nullability support? Basically in Java, at, at this point, uh, there is like an ID level support, I guess, and some uh, compiler plugins and something like that, which can infer nullability from annotations and such. Kotlin solves it on the type level, but there are some issues with the interop with Java. I've actually wrote an article about it. But uh, yeah, it's kind of tricky. What about C Sharp? I heard that C Sharp actually tried to introduce something like this, but I don't know. Nothing like this is in production yet. Uh, well, from the point of view of a Java developer, probably C Sharp is no really different from uh, Java in terms of nullability. Only that it has structs that are not nullable by default, but that's just like an int or a bool is not nullable in Java as well. So that's not a surprise. Uh, what uh, .NET and C Sharp have uh, is a special system class that's called nullable, uh, and it can be used to uh, Create like nullable versions of uh, struct types, uh, but in general, it's just another struct that is a bit special, and uh, a language language the language provides syntax sugar for it. So we can uh, say we can declare uh, an int, for instance. This is a struct uh, in C sharp, but we can also declare a type that can be either an int or null. Uh, but these are different types. But we don't have anything like this for reference types. So reference types are, are always able to hold a null value. That's actually a problem. Uh, well, it's for a lot of languages, I think. Uh, I have read an article that uh, .NET developers and C Sharp developers are looking into this issue. Then they are trying to introduce some kind of nullability support. Uh, but uh, it can be done uh, just as, as it is done in Kotlin on language uh, level and on compiler level. I mean, it is done on language and compiler level, but uh, C-sharp developers should keep in mind the legacy issue, so they need to provide a way to, for old C-sharp code to compile. So the way they approach this uh, they tend to introduce uh, warnings, special kinds of warnings that can uh, compile the warnings, I mean, that can warn a developer that in some cases uh, a variable can be null, but the developer does not uh, keep this in mind. Uh, and you can always uh, configure the compiler to uh, to pretend that some kinds of warnings are actually errors. So, the, so that you can turn these uh, warnings into errors if you wish to. And uh, on top of that, uh, the C-sharp developers uh, are working on introducing a syntax sugar, 
uh, that uh, will allow to annotate uh, reference types uh, to, to show whether they can be nullable or whether they cannot. This is just like in Kotlin, it's, that's a question mark uh, yep. right after the type. Uh, but that's that's a pre-release. Uh, it's not in production, and I don't know whether it whether it goes in production in near future. Uh, but so at least the developers look into this. Is this like a proposal, like an official proposal from language designers, or just like? A I think that's official because it was published on Microsoft blog. I don't think they will publish something unofficial there. Uh, but it's just not in production yet. Uh, and uh, if to speak about nullability issue, uh, one of the major things that I like in Kotlin is nullability support. The only sad thing about this, the only sad thing about this is that Kotlin needs to interrupt with GVM and Java. So yeah. it's quite it's painful to do this with nullability support. Yeah. You're basically fine when you're just using Kotlin and nothing else, and but when you're just switching to the Java level, you're playing with the Java bytecode, with the JVM bytecode, I guess it's right to call it. And then there are some issues because Java actually doesn't know anything about nullability support. And exactly. uh, Kotlin provides some nullability annotation, but it's not like a compiler-level warnings or something. It's basically like inspection warning. So if you have it, you're kind of can help yourself, but it really depends on the situation. So yeah, it's kind of painful. And do you have any like pain points in real life with nulls in C-sharp? Do you have like any unexpected behavior? For example, you're using some library and you're calling it and you have, then really you have null pointer exception or something? I don't really, but I really tend to not use nulls as much as possible. So probably this is the reason why I don't really have much problems with uh, nulls. But anyway, I would like to—I would really like to have nullability support in the language and in the compiler, just to make the compiler make all the checks and prove that some particular code is nullability safe or is not. And do you have like some optionals or something like in between? Java has it. Well, that nullability type that is for structs is a kind of optional, but but nobody uses actually it. Well, I guess some people use it, but I haven't seen anyone that you, who uses Java optionals in real life. But that's another topic, I guess. And what about some advanced things like async await? Uh, do you actually use it in your projects? Uh, yep, I do. I think a lot of developers use uh, them. Uh, well, basically, async and await keywords are just a syntax sugar uh, around the task uh, class. The task class in .NET is quite similar to a future in Java. So generally, that's it. Uh, all async and await uh, are doing is they allow to write synchronous code in a synchronous manner, and this is a bit easier than create a task, then continue with, then continue with, and all that stuff. So it allows to write uh, a sync code in in a safe way, and not with lots of uh, callbacks like people tend to do in JavaScript, for instance. Uh, but that's it, essentially. However, there is another thing uh, that's uh, highly related to syncs and weights. Uh, this is the 
uh, asynchronous input and output support in the .NET uh, runtime. What it does, it allows to uh, run an asynchronous input-output operation uh, without uh, a thread waiting on it. Uh, I believe that it's, it uses the uh, operating system uh, I/O support to do this, and this is uh, what and this is a recommended way to use uh, sync and wait for, say, web projects when you need to when you need to not not to spend a lot of threads while processing web requests because you have only a limited amount of them. And you don't want to you don't want your threads to waste time just waiting for database response and so, resources of course yeah to, to absolutely. All, to all, to all so this is one of the primary use cases for sync and weights i think and do you actually use it to achieve like some nice parallelization of tasks or is it just a sugar for some cases where you actually have things as it should be done in parallel or a sync manner well, you can use it to uh, achieve parallelization, uh, but then again, you can do just that with normal tasks, uh, task uh, APIs, and the sync await will just allow to, well, to await the uh, task execution in a more nice way, I think. That's it. And what do you think about Kotlin coroutines in general? It's like an experimental status for now, but I heard that in version 1, Point 3.0. It will be stable, but that's just a guess. Uh, I thought that curtains are a bit more general or generic, I guess, because uh, you can achieve similar things with a sync and a wait and something more, or it's just like on, on par with C sharp. Uh, well, from what I had seen, Kotlin uh, curtains are quite interesting. Uh, they are much more generic than async and wait in C-sharp and they are not only about asynchronous code, they, uh, in general, they allow to build a code that requires some kind of state machines, but do this nicely. So, for instance, with Kotlin uh, coroutines, you can uh, implement async and wait uh, alternatives to .NET and as well you can uh, implement iterators, uh, the thing that, again, is built into C-sharp itself, and it has nothing to do with uh, synchronous execution, but uh, it heavily uses uh, a state, machine, state machine behind the behind all the syntax. So yeah, with uh, Kotlin coroutines, you can implement it yourself, so that probably gives uh, possibilities to implement something really sophisticated in uh, some use cases, though I can't think of anything else, anything else besides syncs and weights and iterators, actually. So okay. probably it is too generic, but I think we need to wait and to see uh, what use cases can emerge. I think you mean generators by iterators. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> it's less In the net, they're called enumerators, so that's just the terminology, I think. Uh, yeah, actually, I read a bit of documentation. It's kind of... Oh, well, uh, I think Kotlin has sequences that I kind of like that. They, they can be uh, lazy... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Lazy, l lazy sequences, yeah. Lazy collections or something like that. 
Uh, and the same thing with Python, I guess, with the yeah. yield. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly the same. Uh, and the C sharp keyword is yield as well. So it's almost just the same. Uh, and have you actually seen uh, such languages as F sharp and Q sharp in real life? Are they re related in any way with C sharp or are they just named similarly? Well, and made, uh, made by similar people or something like that. All I know, all I know about Q Sharp is that it's a new Microsoft experimental language for quantum computing, and that's basically it. So I don't know what to tell about it. In fact, besides that, that's an interesting fact that Microsoft uh, are looking into investing into quantum computers, computing. And again, back to F Sharp. F Sharp is a functional language for .NET runtime. So yeah, it is related to C Sharp in terms uh, of uh, environment, basically. Yeah, and the runtime, so that you can uh, use, for instance, F Sharp uh, class libraries from C Sharp and vice versa. That's well, that's a .NET uh, idea. The, the the whole idea behind the .NET. Uh, I haven't seen. Uh, any real projects in F Sharp uh, in my real practice, though I haven't searched for them, haven't searched for them, and I'm pretty sure that there are a couple of them, uh, some of them, some open source projects that use F Sharp, but I haven't seen this in enterprise or some uh, some other applications. I had an idea about F Sharp that is basically Haskell on .NET. It's there, but it's rare. I think it's something like this. Well, the syntax is obviously different, but the principles behind it, uh, I think, are the same. Yeah. Uh, you are mentioning .NET a lot, and I actually wanted to ask the question: What is .NET itself, and uh, how is it related to C Sharp? Uh, well, if to if to look at this from the point of view of Java developer, .NET is basically to C Sharp what a JVM is to Java. So it's a runtime, it's, well, it's a class library at the same time, uh, and... As to the leap. <laughs> a kind of, yeah, though, though the name is different in uh, .NET world. Uh, currently, I think it's quite uh, complicated to uh, say what .NET uh, means in the .NET world, because there are quite a lot of flavors of .NET today. Uh, we have .NET Framework, this is what this is where it all started. It's desktop.net that runs on Windows. We also have .NET Core now. Uh, this is a cross-platform .NET runtime that can run on at least on Windows, macOS, and Linux machines. Uh, and we have such thing as .NET Standard. It is not a runtime at all. It's it's really a standard, and multiple runtimes can implement this standard. And this is a uh, well, this is a way uh, the .NET designers chose uh, to approach uh, multi-targeting, I think, so that developers can write a class library that targets uh, some version of .NET standard, and then this library can be used without recompiling, without anything, uh, in every runtime that implements this standard. So, it's kind of similar to Kotlin multi-platform, I guess? Probably. Uh, as far as I know, Kotlin has some kind of a standard or specification that, uh, well, that describes what is in the language and what is in the uh, standard type system. 
So .NET standard is is a specification of standard type system over runtime, I would say. I haven't actually touched multi-platform at Kotlin like heavily, but from the spec experience, well, the testing library uh, we use at work, uh, they have uh, it has like a core that is written in pure Kotlin and can be used across all platforms and it's kind of like bytecode generic to all platforms and some things can be written specifically like for JavaScript or for JVM which basically cannot be achieved with, with a generic way like for now uh, I think working with files something like that is JVM, is JVM specific because it cannot be done but uh, JetBrains work is working on some libraries like Kotlin X serialization, which basically uh, gives you an opportunity to use the same library on every platform, but it has to be done in Kotlin to do that. Uh, I guess it's kind of similar with the sharp approach, but, yeah, but I, don't, of, I don't know. I kind of. Um, uh, and I, I, wanted, I also wanted to ask you this question, but I have time uh, to do that. Uh, what's, what is the deal with open sourcing .NET and .NET Core? There, there are a lot of projects from Microsoft on GitHub these days, and I actually have no idea how is it, how is it actually, how does it actually work? Do you, do you use these open source parts, or are you using just what Microsoft ships? Uh, well, I believe the whole .NET Core is open sourced, and they accept pull requests, and I have seen some uh, pull requests made by third parties and even individual developers. So that's that's quite new for Microsoft's world, and that's quite interesting. And well, sometimes I find I find myself uh, digging through uh, Microsoft GitHub repositories when I'm searching for some for a solution for of some issue, and it sometimes helps. So that's that's quite useful. And well, it's at least it's interesting by itself. So actually, do you use it? Do you use it in your real? Well, I haven't work? compiled it from source, but uh, sometimes I dig through the source code to understand to have to get better understanding of how some particular class uh, system class performs and operates. Let's just elaborate on that a bit. Uh, so, for example, you want to develop a web application of some sort and you need uh, C-sharp like compiler I guess yep. uh, and then you have to have .NET of some sort yeah you need to have some runtime to run it and Microsoft ships <coughs> something like with C-sharp or is it like .NET Core uh, well C-sharp is just a language it can be shipped <laughs> by itself yeah uh, but I mean the compiler itself. the compiler ships yeah uh, the modern C# -sharp compiler is written in .NET itself, so you can't you can't have a compiler without having a .NET just to run this compiler. Uh, what they ship, well, they can sh they ship uh, a .NET framework. This is one kind of runtime that runs only on Windows, and they ship .NET Core. This is another kind of runtime that runs everywhere, and they ship tooling. Uh, those are a compiler, a build system, and uh, package management system uh, and all the modern uh, versions of these uh, both the compiler all the compilers the uh, runtime the core runtime are open source 
And this is interesting because in my mind, for some reason, uh, I saw the C sharp comes with some the leap basically, and .NET is like something for ad an advanced application development. I don't know why. But <laughs> no, it's nothing like this. Absolutely. <laughs> I had something like this in mind. I don't know why. And what about projects like Mono and Xamarin? Uh, like, well, Xamarin is like basically for writing mobile applications on different platforms. At least now, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of not related. And is Mono like actually useful these days or was it consumed? Well, was its approach consumed by .NET Core if it was open source already? Well, originally Mono was a way to run .NET applications on Linux and Mac OS. So uh, they tend to provide a runtime for uh, .NET applications that target a .NET framework, the runtime that uh, runs on Windows. So uh, some legacy applications, basically. Well, I can't say legacy because the majority of .NET applications now still target .NET framework because .NET Core is relatively new still. Uh, but yeah, for now, Mono is the only way to uh, run uh, .NET Framework uh, applications on anything besides, besides Windows. Uh, but the question is whether we need to run, uh, to have such applications and to run them on, uh, on Linux and macOS. Because if we want to develop a website, for instance, we can just use .NET Core and run it anywhere we want. We can run it on Linux without any problems with just a Microsoft uh, original uh, runtime and tooling. Let's just imagine a hypothetical situation. I have Linux of some sort, maybe like Ubuntu or something, and I have VI and I have .NET Core. Is it possible for me to make a simple web application using C-Sharp and .NET Core. Yeah, absolutely. There's no problem to do this. You have all the tooling for this. I mean, uh, console tooling, uh, compilers, uh, build system, uh, package management system. So yeah, you can. You have just to create uh, source codes and uh, run the compiler against this. Uh, you can, endlessly, with no problem. This is just mind-blowing. Yeah, a kind of, though, I'm getting used to it for now, and uh, well, you know, there's a JetBrains IDE uh, called JetBrains Rider. This is a .NET uh, environment, .NET IDE, and it runs on all the platforms you might want to run it on. So you can uh, develop a .NET websites with a really good IDE on Linux with no problems at all. That's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't believe this a couple <laughs> of years ago. Yeah, sure. I, I just wanted to mention it. If someone told me like five years ago that I might work on a Linux machine and doing some .NET application, I would be just, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's <laughs> quite interesting. Uh, I can only say that uh, I've, I've been working on .NET websites uh, for, the later, for the last half a year for sure, and we target uh, .NET Core, and we intend to run them on Linux, and we run them on Linux, and I see no problems with it. It's just, it's just nice. So in in theory, you can just make a Docker container, and yeah, just you can use Docker for this. Put your shit here, and just yeah, you don't have to. You can just create. Uh, you, you can just use 
a Linux machine and uh, install .NET there and run it there. You will need Nginx to run to properly run uh, a .NET website. But that's not a surprise, I would believe. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, and you can use uh, and containers for this, which you can't do on Windows apparently. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Rider project, and uh, I heard something about just brains tools for Visual Studio. It was like what was it called? It's Sharper. Yep, uh, it was an alternative to like IntelliJ Sense or something like that. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess the, the it, name is quite complicated in it, Visual Studio, but it, it was a fancy name for like basic. I don't know, like auto completion. It's auto completion <laughs> plus refactoring plus plus some other stuff, but yeah. And what are your thoughts about it? Are the Brains products actually better than Microsoft ones? Uh, well, uh, now Microsoft invests quite a lot into uh, IDE features. So they uh, moved to a newer compiler called Roslyn. Uh, it's written in .NET and it, it's pluggable. It provides an API, so they use it uh, heavily to add uh, new cool features to the IDE. IDE like refactoring and all and analysis so they kind of trying to well they trying to uh, to reach JetBrains features uh, but they still but JetBrains uh, sharper features uh, are still uh, much more are still richer uh, and I still cannot imagine myself using .NET and Visual Studio without Reshapa. However, I tend to switch to JetBrains Rider more and more because it just is just nicer anyway, uh, and it runs smoother uh, and it doesn't hang apparently as <laughs> Visual Studio tends to do because Visual Studio is a 32-bit application and <laughs> JetBrains Reshapa has to integrate uh, into it and run into in the in its uh, memory space so it doesn't have enough memory to do all work it, it wants to do so what that's quite interesting that's quite an interesting thing what JetBrains uh, are working on is they're trying to uh, move uh, sharper analysis uh, into a separate process that will run side by side with Visual Studio and they will have just a simple front-end inside the Visual Studio that will use into process communication with that uh, Shapa process. And in this way, they may, they may make uh, Visual Studio more responsive, I think. And they do use the very same uh, uh, headless process for JetBrains Rider. So that's basically that same Shapa with another mm -hmm. ID. And yeah, that's that's quite an quite an interesting approach by itself. This is just insane. I, d I don't understand these companies. Like in in macOS, the only single thirty two bit application is iTunes. It's the only thing like on your Mac. If you just check any MacBook and just check this targeting, I do, I have no idea why are they doing that. Because iTunes is like a central hub for everything. Especially if you have an iPhone, and you are already have an iPhone, I guess, if you have a MacBook. But uh, just it's just so crazy. I I, I have no idea why <laughs> why is this happening. 
what is so hard just to change targeting is just like well, it's hard to do. Visual Studio it might be hard because it has quite a long and rich history and it's not written just in .NET it's written in multiple technologies it has native code in it it has different .NET parts in it so I think it's really not an easy task to switch to uh, another targeting uh, targeting framework uh, targeting uh, processor architecture yeah I guess but the Microsoft actually has some interesting engineering pro projects like moving all the func all the functionality of Microsoft Office into like a C++ core engine that they just carry around or all project all platforms they target and it's kind of I guess it was challenging <laughs> it's not so simple uh, but we'll see I guess and um, what do and what do you think about Visual Studio Code it's uh, it's not comparable of course because it's just like text editor editor on steroids well I just had a brief look on it it's really just a text editor and it was introduced by Microsoft I believe uh, only in a way to give some at least some official tool to do .NET coding in Linux and macOS. Well, we have Visual Studio Mac on macOS, but we don't have anything like this on Linux, so probably VS Code is the response to this. And maybe for TypeScript? Yeah, well, they support multiple languages, of course, but I haven't used it really, and I don't really see a reason for myself at least to use it, just because we have JetBrains Rider. So. See people what I'm talking about? Like TypeScript is like the right alternative to JavaScript. C Sharp actually has some interesting features. And, and the language <laughs> designer is just the same again. <laughs> and you can uh, actually write your code on Linux or on Mac and just run it on a .NET Core. It's like perfect world. Um, some other things, maybe, what about build systems on Java and on Kotlin, we have Gradle, Maven, and you can use Ant if you're crazy, but uh, <laughs> okay, for what, what about the .NET platform? For .NET, well, we have a separate compilers for uh, C Sharp, Visual Basic, yeah, it's still alive, uh, F Sharp and all that stuff, <coughs> and we have, uh, we have a build system, it's called MS Build. Uh, it's quite a complicated thing, but well, it works. And Microsoft created a couple of uh, nice console um, applications. On top of it, they created a .NET console tool that uh, allows to do anything with .NET projects. Uh, behind the curtains, it uses uh, MS Build, it uses NuGet. It's a package management system for .NET. So in general, you have a single uh, console tool that you can use to do anything with .NET, but it uses a couple of other systems behind the curtain. So is it possible to build an application from the console? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just the, that's probably the only way to do this on, well, not the only way, but preferred way to do this on Linux, I believe, uh, and on some agents for continuous integration for instance if you have a linux agent for continuous integration you don't need to have a graphical environment for for it so yeah you do console uh, you use console tools for this but i believe you only need console tools for dotnet even for all the dotnet 
it's not like you need a whole Visual Studio to compile a .NET application. All you need a compiler. All you need is a compiler, and IDE is just a tool built on top of it. And can you generate some reports or something like that? Uh, it, what kind yeah, of report uh, do you mean? Uh, well, just uh, test execution reports that you can put yeah. in your new CI. <coughs> the, .NET, the .NET tool uh, has support for unit tests. It has a test runner, and it is actually pluggable, so you can use multiple uh, unit testing framework for it. Microsoft provides its own, but you have N unit, you have X unit, you probably have something else. So yeah, you have a console a unit test runner, you can use it and integrate it with CI systems. There's no problems. That's great. And what about artifacts repositories like MyVet Central in, uh, in Java world? Do you have like something like that? Uh, you, you mentioned NuGet. It's That's like, it. The, the, this, That's it's interesting because uh, I heard it's, it was like a third party tool at first, wasn't it? I don't really think so, but Probably it started as something uh, like this, but uh, Microsoft adopted it. So it's an official tool and Microsoft uh, develops and provides official, tool, official tooling for this. And there is uh, a central repository, like a common central repository for artifacts. Uh, it's nuget.org. Everyone can upload there, uh, but you can have uh, any private or third-party uh, repository servers as well, and use them on whatever in any way you want. So yeah, you have something uh, like Maven in Java world. That's nice. And I heard from you about this thing uh, called TM Foundation Server. Can you explain what this monstrosity is? Well, that's quite a complicated thing to explain because it's quite a complicated thing to understand <laughs> itself. So I believe originally it started as some kind of Microsoft solution for version control, but uh, during, but it's now something a bit more than this. Uh, currently it is a way to uh, do version control. It's a way to do releases a continuous integration, project management. Uh, and, and coffee. Don't forget about coffee. I'm not sure it can do this, <laughs> but who knows. Uh, and it supports Git now, so you can have uh, Microsoft TFS version control system, or you can have Git, but, use, uh, but at the same time you can use all the other TFS features with it. And uh, now you have a cloud version of this. It is called VSTS, Visual Studio Team Services, I believe. Uh, well, it's just the same, but it, it's hosted on Microsoft. Uh, and it's quite configurable. You can integrate this with Amazon, uh, for instance, with AWS. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can... Yeah, I think you can uh, integrate it with some other, uh, yeah, it's integrated with Microsoft Azure, of course, I think with some other uh, hosting providers as well. Uh, and it has, uh, well, it has version control, it has builds uh, management, release management, continuous integration, project management. So in general, it's quite a nice tool now, but it's a bit complicated. It's, basic, think... it's basically a tool. Well, probably. It's just too complicated, maybe because of its legacy, I think. Uh, and I have to ask this. 
Is it possible to host your TFS instance on Linux? I'm not sure. I haven't tried this, of course. Uh, I think you can still, because I'm pretty sure it uses some kind of SQL server behind the curtain for storage. Well, we have a SQL server uh, version that is able to run on Linux, but I don't think that it's really, all this is really production ready, so I would host DFS on Windows if I have to, but probably a cloud solution hosted on Microsoft is a better option. And I have to ask another thing. I know we've used Linux and university together. Yep. <laughs> uh, so do you actually use Windows for work or do you just use a Linux machine and do your work here? Because from your words, it's, it's <coughs> actually kind of possible if, if you uh, just put yourself in some restrictions. It's, it basically can be done. Uh, it can be done, I mean, uh, developing.NET applications on Linux, uh, but I have to use Windows on work. That's, well, that's, it has some uh, things with the uh, domain uh, approach that is used in the uh, company that I work. So we basically need to run Windows uh, for this. And uh, at the same time, uh, I have to develop applications that target both .NET Core and .NET Framework, and you can't compile .NET Framework binaries on uh, Linux machines. So I kind of need Windows anyway. Uh, but if you if all you need is uh, to develop uh, .NET Core applications, you don't really need Windows for this. So basically, you cannot just write a .NET Core application and somehow load it on the regular .NET like instance. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite get that uh, well, about loading, the loading parts. Uh, well, you said you cannot uh, target Windows. Uh, you cannot target .NET Framework. .NET Framework is a runtime that uh, that is available only for Windows. It's a different runtime, so it has some Windows-specific things. And sometimes you need this for your applications. So, can, uh, <laughs> I ask this again. Can you actually have a .NET Core application and run it on this Microsoft thing? Uh, you can have a .NET Core application. You would need a .NET Core runtime for this. And you obviously can run this on Windows because .NET Core runtime runs everywhere. Well, pretty much everywhere. I think it won't run on Raspberry. But... <laughs> so, so basically, uh, all we have to do is just to everyone adopt .NET Core and everyone will be happy and do multi-platform? Yeah, I think for those applications that are that can be platform agnostic because you can't really develop a Windows uh, desktop application with .NET Core because you do need Windows desktop uh, platform APIs for this. That's great. That sounds great. Everything sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know actually how to raise this because it sounds like a Magic, it's just, it's just magical. .NET now is very different from what it used to be just a couple of years ago. It's, Microsoft has changed. I don't know whether Microsoft has changed or the, the world has changed and, the, and, it require, and it makes them to, uh, to develop new features. But .NET Core is, is awesome compared to old .NET that we used to have uh, before. Because I actually cannot imagine that Oracle will just make 
JVM loose and just put every so all the sources on GitHub and just say, okay, you can just make pull request to this. Well, you kind of have <laughs> a nice JVM runtime that is open source as well. So probably there's not there's no such need to have Oracle open source. Runtime. Yeah, I guess, but that's why Kotlin basically emerged because they just wanted to something that can be shipped between Java versions and can be just flexible and add new features and can actually break things sometimes. Well, of course, Kotlin doesn't break things, but it can, mm -hmm. potentially. But it's, it's kind of interesting. And uh, let's face Elephant in the Room, Windows Phone, is basically dead for now. I think so. I didn't pay much attention uh, on it at well, all, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's my, kind of dead now. My father had a Windows Phone and it Basically, from his words, basically, no, no, no updates weren't issued for a long time and there will, will not be any updates in the future. So basically, it's that, I guess. So uh, uh, I think they have different versions of Windows Phone. They have Windows Phone 10 that has the same core as Windows uh, Desktop 10. So these versions probably have some updates, just as uh, desktop versions of Windows have uh, some updates. But the old Windows Phone, like 7 or 8, yeah, they, they, they are dead for sure. I, I think the latest version is also dead. Yeah, but <laughs> it probably still has some updates, but they are not, they're just security updates maybe. So my question actually is, uh, as a .NET developer, have you actually heard something from Windows Phone world? Like from the API standpoint, from the SDK standpoint, like some approaches maybe have changed for making desktop application or something like that or it wasn't it was like just a separate platform that you haven't heard about at all it's not like it's a really separate platform it's well it's different but it has quite a lot of common with desktop uh, with desktop uh, platforms uh, it uses a limited version of microsoft uh, Windows Presentation Foundation. It's a uh, it's a tool to develop well uh, graphical interfaces. Uh, the same that's used for uh, Windows desktop applications as well. Uh, well, it has some limitations compared to desktop versions, just uh, because it runs on mobile applications, on mobile uh, machines. Uh, but in general, it's not very different. So I wouldn't say that it is a thing that is somewhere far away from other .NET. It's just a little bit different flavor. Well, I just have an example for the Java world. We had such a tool like named Dagger. It is a library that is designated as a dependency injection tool. It basically allows you to, to declare modules, like components and something like that. And then you have like this, your whole dependency injection set, set up. It's this reflection. It was kind of reflection free, but has some reflection in it. And uh, its benefit was that it was mostly compile time. So you had like all the safety in the world and the performance was better. And later Google adopted it and made a second version that basically they use internally. And I just was wondering is there something like this that actually moved from the Windows Phone to Windows? I don't really think so. Nothing comes to mind, at least. So 
or probably I just don't know because I haven't uh, used Windows Phone and I didn't develop for it, so I probably just don't know. Okay, so um, my last question is, do you actually want to learn some Kotlin? Or, or I don't know, maybe make some proposals to C-Sharp and steal something from Kotlin? Uh, well, Kotlin is interesting to me. One of the main features uh, of it that made uh, it interesting to me is nullability support, but it has quite a lot of interesting features as well. So yeah, I'm definitely going to look into Kotlin just as a hobby at the very least. And I'm just going to start 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 to learn .NET platform. <laughs> as long as it is available <laughs> on different platforms now, I guess. Yeah, it's nice. Maybe we'll bring something to Android as well. Who knows? <laughs> Though I'm not sure it's, you can run .NET applications on Android now. Uh, though you probably have some way to compile it in platform specific binaries. And let the hacking begin. Yep. <laughs> okay, thank you everyone for listening and thank you Dmitry for being here with us. Thank you. Okay, bye guys. Bye.